Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to A Private View. On this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking to Hildy Lynn Helpenstein, otherwise known as Jerry Gagosian. Her tagline is, at the cutting edge of stating the obvious. She was in town for the AWIDA conference. AWIDA stands for the Association of Women in the Arts. I met Hildy at her hotel, and we took to the streets of Mayfair. We went to the Royal Academy, through St. James, into Christie's. If I were to associate Jerry Gagosian with a movement historically, it would be punk. Jerry has a DIY attitude in an art world full of rules, and I was very impressed with her willingness to find her own way and build her own art world. I hope you enjoy listening to this walk and talk. I'm walking down the streets of Mayfair with Hildy Lynn. Jerry Gagosian. Hi, Jerry. Hi, good morning. You're in London for the AWIDA conference, and I think the tickets sold out when they confirmed that you were going to be part of it. It's called Build Your Own Art World? That's correct, Build Your Own Art World. I'm going to be giving a few presentations about how I see the art world now, how I see potential for it developing, and different roles that women will be playing in the near future. You're known for calling out the um, nonsense. I won't use the BS word. You're known for calling out the nonsense in the art world. It takes a lot of courage when you're in the art world to do that because people can shut the door on you pretty quickly. Ah, that's correct. I would actually say it. <laughs> it's not that it takes a lot of bravery. It just takes a long-term resentment <laughs> to... Um, Hold your vision and see what's problematic because the art world is really seductive. It's getting more seductive by the minute. I mean, I'm, I've been working in the art world since the 80s and it used to be people wearing black and carrying moleskin notebooks. And now it's like a rock concert, especially the art fairs. What do you think that's about? Well, we're seeing the mainstreamification of the art world. We're seeing the corporatization of the art world, the professionalization of the art world. All things that... I think when we're in art school, we're sort of taught it shouldn't be so. But this is the natural progression of art and commerce, and it's beginning to populate the mainstream consciousness. So it's really no surprise that there's all kinds of opportunities for people to interact with art. And I think long term, the opportunity for art to no longer be like the pretentious big sister of mainstream culture is actually a good thing. I couldn't agree more. Uh, to talk to someone about Kusama's popularity, and certainly Instagram changed Kusama's popularity, but she wasn't making the art for Instagram. So sometimes you're out of sync with the times as an artist. Let's, let's start with you. Your background, how you grew up, how you ended up going into the art world. Take us back to the origin myth. Well, I was born in Oakland, California in the 80s, and I've traveled a lot as a child because my parents' work took us around the world and around the United States, and then when I was 20 years old, I decided to go and study art, studied art for seven years. And Where did you study? Well, the first art school I went to was called Strikjarna Kunstskule in Oslo, Norway, and that's kind of an anarchist art school. 
And then after that, I went to San Francisco Art Institute, and I also spent a year at Volland in Gothenburg, Sweden. So I sort of have a crazy, meandering art education. And fantastic. Like, no one has the same education as you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was, it was a path. It was, it wasn't super planned out. <laughs> There's a joke you might know. How do you make God laugh? How? Tell him your plans. <laughs> True. Are your parents artists? I, I notice sometimes if people's parents aren't artists, it's hard for them to believe they can make a living in the art world. Did your parents support you in this pursuit? My mother started brainwashing me around the age of three that I was an artist. So... You know, anytime I would do something, it was always attributed to what an artist I was, <laughs> which I don't know. I have a tendency towards navel gazing, as many artists do. But my mother, everything I did was always, she attributed everything to, oh, you're such an artist. And so I think super early on, I was taught to frame myself and my actions as creative. Everything was creative. Everything was a gesture of creativity and love. That's pretty nice. Did your mom want to be an artist herself? Did she put her dreams on you? And that's um, the last mom question I'll ask you. No, my mom is a humanitarian, so I think there's something very fundamentally hopeful and creative about being a person like that because it's easy to get mired down in the difficulty of life and it takes vision to see something beyond and my mother has always been optimistic and especially these days I find that to be an act of creativity to be super optimistic. That's an understatement. I want to talk to you about Jerry Gagosian, the persona, the podcast, uh, you calling yourself the most hyphenated person in the art world, which is great and problematic for the art world, but certainly you've found a position for yourself that no one else has. Let's go to that. The influences, how it happened, what was going on. Yeah, I, I think because the art world isn't necessarily a meritocracy, and I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, and I didn't have a lot of time to just take several years off of paid work to find my place in the art world. I've always been forced to be creative and have multiple revenue streams. So at any given moment, even when I started out, it was like I was an intern at one gallery. I was running a project space out of my apartment. I was a hostess at a restaurant and a nanny and a personal assistant and at a creative agency that wasn't, you know, in the fine art realm. And Having a lot of different positions set me up for a career where I actually was interested in more than just sitting in one lane. And I do understand the significance of being a specialist. That is also a very beautiful gesture and contribution to the art world, but I didn't really have that privilege. So I got pushed in a different direction. It's like exercising muscles in your body. I'm sort of generally in shape, <laughs> and I'm constantly having to use a new set of muscles I didn't know I had, whereas some people get to really just sculpt their arms or abs for years and years, and that just wasn't the way my career panned out. Um, now I'm beginning to appreciate it, but it was kind of confusing in the beginning. Was there any role models or people who inspired you or cultural 
phenomenons or theories that sort of guided you when the world around you wasn't there to guide you? I've always been inspired by film, by music, by what I saw in the art world. I liked, I started going to fairs back in 2005, so I was very young and it made a very strong impression on me and I haven't really been able to shake that. Um, it, part of the seduction of the art world that I was speaking about in the beginning, it's very real and it was sort of like getting hit with Cupid's arrow in the beginning where it's not that I thought I fit in but when I first walked in I knew like these are my people, this is my place. But I, when I first saw it I hadn't even gone to art school yet. It was just sort of this knowing. I agree. I mean it first time I felt like home on earth and in my life was with the art world and there's something about all the people who walk through it that is very seductive and it was tolerant and we've watched it change over the years especially the art fair since 2005 but I still would rather be in it than out of it. Jerry Gagosian is a phenomenon. How did you come up with the idea and what did you think of the popularity of the whole? I've actually been very surprised by it People, I think, sometimes want to hear like a conspiracy story of how it began, but it was pretty simple. I just took two very famous names and married them together and then began satirizing the art world, which felt very easy. Um, the tagline for Jerry Gagosian is that I'm at the cutting edge of stating the obvious. And when I first started, um, I did get a lot of compliments for sort of as you began this interview by saying like, you know, you're calling things out. And I was surprised because to me, it was just very common sense to like talk about these things. And with full transparency, I didn't think that I would ever find a place or be accepted. And I actually believe that gave me the bravery to just rip the bandaid off. And maybe this also ties back into OIDA, which is, having the confidence to build your own art world. If you don't see a place for yourself, then it's your obligation, if you want to stay, to carve out space for yourself. And I didn't do it with hyper intention, but I figured, what do I have to lose? And ultimately, at the end of the day, that really is a question for everyone. What do you have to lose by contributing? My mom always says, be more of yourself, not less of yourself. And I felt like that was something that after going through my education, having my brain broken one way, and then going into the professionalized art world, having my brain broken another way, it was, okay, but who's Hildy in all of this and what do I actually have to give? Because I had something or I wouldn't have come to this to begin with. And I think that I've found my greatest momentum in taking my different kinds of educations and then actually re-excavating, I always call her Little Hildy. <laughs> now I'm enjoying this and it feels bursting with a possibility in you know my contributions to the art world and where I see my career going. It doesn't feel like I've even plateaued yet or reached my highest peak. I feel like I'm building up towards something. And I take it and I take myself very seriously in this role. That's another thing that actually we're going to be discussing at OIDA is this idea that it's okay to take yourself seriously. Because a lot of women in particular 
are sort of taught to lighten up and stop taking yourself so seriously and and stop you know like don't be a bitch don't be crazy and it's it's interesting because we allot that space to kooky men who want to run and take over the art world and we applaud them but when women do this and when women are ambitious it's sort of looked down upon and literally that word ambitious when applied to a woman is a pejorative whereas when it's applied to a man that's him winning so I encourage other women in this field and I challenge and hold myself to a standard of throwing myself in the game you're doing something uh, that people don't like to talk about. You're understanding the financial aspect of the art world. And if I am picking up the information you're giving in ArtsMac, you're also entering business school this autumn, which floored me. It should be something that's taught in art school, and it isn't. And, and I think you openly spoke about the walls that come up if you don't have access to financing. It's probably a long conversation what gave you the drive to go back and break your brain again oh god um well actually like falling in love with art you know art is probably the biggest major love of my life the second would be meeting my fiance Matthew Capasso and um he went to business school his sister went to I think like finance business school his father's an engineer his mother is incredibly smart and um, I think it was sort of falling in love with him and his family and I would go to family dinners and it was like I felt like a cat watching a laser going back and forth back and forth or watching a ping-pong match because I realized as much as I thought I was the smart hot ticket (laughs) I was listening to them speak at the dinner table and I was like I don't know what they're talking about and this sounds very important because they're talking about markets and they're talking about the world moves with money and again when I think about myself somebody who I have nothing to offer but who I am you know in my hard work and my ideas but I don't come to this with like a legacy of generations of wealth that's just not how I am then I need to figure out how to access capital. And again, that's a responsibility. And I don't see anything wrong with this. And I don't understand why we set up people in the arts to fail when it comes to this. Because we end up frustrated, wasting our own time, our own money, our life force for something that ultimately isn't going to be successful because we weren't educated in these arenas so I, I felt like, okay, you know, and I'm going to business school just as much for the network as I am for the concrete learning that I'm going to be going through. But I felt like this was sort of the final piece to the puzzle to take this anarchist art school education, this fine art art school education that I have, combine those two, and then take an MBA from NYU Stern, combine that, I feel like I'm setting myself up, or I know that I'm setting myself up to be um, a major player. However, there is this idea that an art brain and a business brain are different, and one can't be the other. What do you think about that? I I think that's probably an old-fashioned way of thinking. 
Um, I think that we can chew bubble gum and walk. <laughs> and I would like to think that with the complexities of the brain and consciousness, it's possible to be creative and to think of capital and markets as another tool to be creative with. When I talk to people who are really great at money, alchemizing money out of numbers or whatever, they're artists. That is art. So I don't see any difference. I know you're a Warholian, and Warhol is always famous for saying the best art is good business. Yeah. The only thing that I disagree with sometimes was the offhanded blasé relationship that there's almost like a wasteful wastefulness to money and resources that I think um, is very evident of the times of the 1960s that Warhol had uh, in the 50s pop art post-World War II it makes sense um, but I I feel like yes I, I've come out of that but if we think about how the rest of the world has changed we've We've had to begin to think greener. We've had to think more inclusively. We've had to think about how to be resourceful with what we're working with and the people that are around us. And I think that's the 2.0 version of this. And again, it's the complexity of it and doing a ballet where there's considerations taken about what these objects mean in the world, what we fill the world with, messages we're sending out. It's it's, it's complicated, but it's a ballet that I feel like I've been training for. You're very generous with other artists and supporting them. I'd like to know who you take your inspiration from culturally. Sometimes I think of Peggy Guggenheim when I think of you. Oh my gosh, that is such a... <laughs> Thank you, wow. Okay, I'm blushing, I'm blushing, she's blushing, she's blushing. Um, Only because you generously give yourself and your time to artists. That's something you do every day. From, I mean, I DM'd you, and you immediately said, yeah, sure, 10 a.m. Yeah. Again, I, wh what is the saying? I'm just using a lot of colloquialisms, but, like, all tides rise with the sea. I have never understood people who don't share. I'm by no means proposing that I'm perfect or that I'm better than anyone else, but I have seen people in the past who are not wanting to share themselves and their opportunities and the plenty that is on the earth with other people. And I, I do not operate out of a mentality of scarcity. I'm not afraid that there's a saying like the more love you have, the more you can give away and the more you give away, the more love you have. And when I interact with other artists or people in my community, and my community is global now, it's the art world, I do my best to be uh, generous with myself and with what I have because there's no way that I exist without other people. I didn't come out of a vacuum. Um, so I, and I want there to be more. So I, I do not operate out of scarcity. I'm not afraid that if I give a part of myself or my ideas to someone else that they're going to beat me or they're going to have more than me. And if they do, well, I hope they look back and think, she was nice, I'm going to share with her. <laughs> What's art for? I think 
art is an opportunity to slow down. Art is a space for contemplation. It is a space of challenge, of meditation. It's, you know, and I'm not talking about the art market right now. I'm talking about art, art that inspires me and sort of helps me navigate through life. Art can be funny. It can elicit anger. It can elicit joy. It can elicit so many different emotions. I guess it's a little bit like a vehicle. And you can move in and out of different spaces. And you don't have to go anywhere or take any drugs or get on an airplane or go in a time machine. It's this uh, portal. And I think that, again, is another reason that when I walked into the art world, quote unquote, it was 2005 in Miami at... uh, Art Basel, and I, <laughs> I went and I watched this uh, film by Vera Shaitilova called Daisies, and I, with my uneducated young brain, completely misunderstood the context of it, and I thought that the film was about God and the devil fighting over art on Earth, and I thought I want to be there, and I want to be on the side of good fighting for art, <laughs> and. Well, let's see, that was in 2005, 18 years later, you know, I'm here. So it's incredibly impactful if I, you know, I was a a bartender at a club in, in Miami. So to go from that to changing my life and becoming educated in the art world and having all these different roles, that's powerful. Nobody forced me to do that. That wasn't, a, again, mind-altering substance. That wasn't anything. That was just something that impressed a feeling and a drive that was so hard on me that it actually changed my life and gave me direction. Great self-belief and hard work to get you there. If you could have one piece of art and money wasn't the object, what would you have and why? I would probably have one of those large portal paintings that Hilma off Clint that was in the Guggenheim. I play this game a lot with my friends. Um, We always say like top 10 pieces that you'd want to live with for the rest of your life. Not for money, not for anything else. And I actually first encountered this is crazy. I first encountered Hilma off Clint's work through a tattoo. So I was working in a shop in San Francisco when I was in art school and this girl walked in and she had this figure tattooed on her arm and I couldn't stop staring at it. I was like (laughs) attracted to her arm where the tattoo was and I I don't like to ask people like what is your tattoo about? I feel like that's kind of a cringy question but I was like excuse me I am so sorry what is that symbol on your arm? Because I can't stop staring at it. And this was in 2011. So this is kind of a, maybe 2010, long time ago. And she said, oh, it's Hilma off Clint. And I ended up looking her work up and she's considered the mother of abstraction now. I think, I believe she just had something this summer here in London. At the Tate. Yeah. Um, so With Piet Mondrian. Exactly. Uh, who I also love, by the way. But so when I saw that, I, I began to look her work up and I read about these portals that she had painted. 
and intended them only for the future because she believes she'd be misunderstood. And I've read so much about her and sort of how she let a spirit basically, or spirits guide her to make this work. And I mean, clearly I think it's obvious when I'm speaking that I believe in the metaphysical in a world outside of the concrete here and now. And I believe Helma Offklent was tapped into that. And I can relate to that as a spiritual seeker. Anything you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about? I guess I want to say that I'm very excited right now because I feel like I have another opportunity to grow in the art world and share with other people. And again, this is not something that I take lightly. You're talking about studying money. Yeah. It was, it was crazy to get into this program. Um, <laughs> Completely inspired me. Uh, it blew my mind. So congratulations <laughs> thank and you. thank you for talking about it. Yeah, and I think that especially women, again, I'm going to go back to this because I have to think about the messages that I have received culturally about money, is that, you know, we're not the ones that deal with the money. We are the, perhaps the ones that help go out and harvest the money or have a little bit of say about how the funds are directed. But oftentimes we aren't the ones in control. We're, we're waiting for permission from, you know, the invisible father to give us the thumbs up. And um, one of the slogans that I'm using tomorrow is, and I love like thinking about corporate language. It's, it's very funny to me because I'm so not corporate, but it's time to take the wheel of a market that you drive. And I'm currently thinking a lot about how I can motivate and inspire other women around me to begin to take grasp of their careers and of the, the money that they interact with. This is actually something, again, that's sort of new because it was considered gauche before. It was, I remember getting those messages that, ah, you don't want to be like too visibly successful. You don't want to have too much of an um, impression that you make. You want to have the lightest touch. Meanwhile, you know, we sort of spout these men's names that are in our art industries as if they're gods because they've accumulated wealth. And women sit in the background and are sort of, it's insinuated that we're supposed to be humble and following the lead. And I'm just, it's 2023. I'm not interested in that. Um, I want to take an active part in this. So I'm very excited about what I'm going to learn. Um, and I'll be sharing that on my podcast as I move forward. And who knows, maybe I'll come out of this and be like, sorry, guys, I'm a financial advisor now. <laughs> but, you know, I'm excited because in the art world, I know that I did. I like to think of myself as progressive. But when you actually go into other professional settings, you realize that we're actually pretty backwards in the art world. And these are issues that corporations and bigger companies are actively dealing with and have been since basically the women entered the workforce is how do we equalize things for women and now women are more college educated our pays are beginning to match or outpace men's so what is the big deal why can't we go into this why can't we talk about this why can't we address this i'm ready i'm here for this 
Thank you, Jerry Gagosian. I do really appreciate it. And I think you're a great role model for a lot of women who maybe have been told not to show their ambition because it's not attractive. Thank you. Thank you so much. And nice to meet you. You've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. This podcast is produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. The music is by Korshid Homi. Thank you for listening.